Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, bringing this week's message, our Associate Pastor to Families, Dr. Michael Wright. We are going to be in the book of Amos, Amos chapter 7. So uh, take your Bible, turn to Amos 7, and we're going to study there together this morning. Amos chapter 7. I am a, a student, of, not, a, not a great one, but I am a student of story. I love to not only read stories, but also break down how a story is told. And uh, I've discovered that in a good story, the problem or the, the struggle of the protagonist is introduced very early. If you watch any kind of movie or read any kind of story, for the story to be of any interest at all, it's going to have an antagonist. It's going to, so the protagonist is going to have to fight the antagonist, and we always love to see the end of the story. We want to know, does it turn out all right? Because uh, leaving a story in the middle of its story doesn't work. And so when I read God's Word, I discover that God tells the very best stories that he is the best at revealing the truth about what he wants his people to know. And so in keeping with that, I want to go ahead and introduce the problem. And because when we open up Amos, we see that it is about mainly the northern kingdom and all those who are related to the people of the northern kingdom. And he's... He is preaching to this kingdom that they are obviously not right with God. And that they have set up for themselves places of worship that God did not ask them or instruct them to assemble. We are, we are, when we look at the nation of Israel, we see that they are from a divided nation. We know that there was Saul and David and and Solomon. They ruled for 120 years, 40 years each, and that was considered a united kingdom. When Solomon died, his brother took over, Rehoboam, and he tried to increase the taxes on the people, and the people rebelled, and the kingdom, that is the nation of Israel, split into two nations. The southern kingdom being known now as Judah and the northern kingdom as Israel. The center of religious worship in the southern kingdom, of course, is Jerusalem. And it continues to be so right until the end of the story of God as we read the book of Revelation that John looks up and sees that that there's going to be a new Jerusalem, a new heaven, and a new earth. But the northern kingdom splits off and says, well, we need our own sacred places. Only God was displeased with their their worship because their hearts were not given unto the Lord. And as a result of that, God goes to this farmer by the name of Amos, the guy from Tekoa. 
He is a farmer by vocation, but then becomes a prophet by calling, which, by the way, is now his new vocation. It's his divine call to go and to speak to the leaders and speak to the people, calling on the people to repent. He outlines why they are in trouble. He outlines this through the first uh, six of these chapters. And they've been so very well unfolded for us, uh, divided up for us by Pastor Keith and Tony Richmond last week. And today we come to chapter 7, where we see the beginning of five great visions of judgment. And oftentimes, you know, when we read God's story, we see that he will allow a calamity among his people, not because he does not love his people, but he wants his people to understand what the measure is of their devotion, what it, how, how deeply committed they are to, to the things of God. And when those calamities happen, they realize they don't have enough of, of God. And sometimes they repent and they come back to the Lord and sometimes they become even more hardened and they stay away from the Lord. In this case, Israel refused to turn to the Lord. So there is Amos preaching. And so God then gives Amos these visions to tell the people. And, and we see when we read through, especially the first two visions that I'll show you here in Amos 7, we have to take note that, that the, the, the calamity, the, the, the judgment that God is going to bring on, on Israel has a tremendous impact on work and on economics. You know, God does get people's attention sometimes through work and economics. When people misspend money and, and a job or a business or a corporation dries up and people lose their jobs, in a sense, that's a little minor judgment upon a company or a man or a woman or whoever or a group of people who did not rightly handle finances. And so it, it costs people their jobs. Or when we see that, that politicians sometimes make decisions that affect a whole nation and not even just a nation, but sometimes a whole world of jobs and work. And that is why Amos speaks to the leaders to say, hey, get right because you're affecting many, many other people. And so let's look at these five visions beginning with Amos chapter 7 and verse 1. Here's the first vision. He says, this is what the Lord God showed me. When I read those words, I think of John, the, uh, the apostle John, the beloved apostle, the one that wrote the book or the Gospel of John, the one that wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the same John that was on the island of Patmos and took the Lord's vision and wrote it down, and it became the book of Revelation. And I think of how that revelation, that word revelation in the Greek is apocalypsis, and the idea there is that the drawing back of a curtain. Those of you who've been to the theater, you know that you can't wait for the curtain to open up 
and to, and to hear the music rise and the actors take the stage and you know the thrill of, of all that is about to happen. Only in this case, the drawing back of the curtain is of, of, of no beauty at all. It's a drawing back of the curtain and a vision of something that is going to be terrible upon the people. He says, I, this is what the Lord showed me. Behold, he was forming locusts when the latter growth was just beginning to sprout. And behold, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. What has happened here is that, that Amos the farmer recognizes that, that that the people have worked and toiled, they've cultivated their land, they have planted the seed, they have formed the, the rivers of irrigation to, to create the growth, and they've done all that they are supposed to do, and now they're waiting for the, the final bloom, the final blossoming of the, of the fruit on the vine, so to speak. And it's at that moment that locust is now rising on the horizon, and Amos the farmer knows exactly what's coming. Oh my, all that's been worked for is about to be lost by a horde of ravaging locusts. The pain is increased when he says, now this is after the king took his part. The king came in and his workers came in and, and gleaned from the fields for the taxes and then all that was left was what would sustain the nation of Israel. All of those crops that would feed the mouths of the people, that would sustain them in the land. God was showing Amos a horde of ravaging locusts that would come in, sit down on their crops, and devour their crops. And the scripture tells us in verse 2, when they had finished eating the grass of the land, I said, O Lord, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. Aren't you glad for people who intercede for others? You and I probably don't even realize that we are here by the grace of God and we are sustained because somebody in their secret closet somewhere is seeing what is coming in our land or in our homes, in our family lives. They are seeing what is happening and they are saying, oh Lord, don't bring that calamity. We cannot stand it. We don't even realize that there are people who are holding this thing together in prayer. And that is Amos. He's saying, oh God, don't do this. Don't do this. If you're wondering why he would pray such a prayer, perhaps he remembers Exodus chapter 10. Exodus chapter 10 and in verse 12. You can turn there if you would like. It says that the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, all the hail has left. In verse 14, it says, The locust came up 
over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt such a dense swarm of locusts as has never been seen before nor ever will be again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened and they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees and and the hail, all that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field through all the land of Egypt. This was such a great and mighty thing that happened in Egypt. Even Pharaoh called to Moses and Aaron, had them brought before him and said, Oh, please, Forgive me, I have sinned against your Lord God. He still didn't let the people go. You know, I think that's what we do sometimes. God brings judgment to us and we say, oh God, forgive me for what I have done. But we're still unwilling to let go the things that we harbor in our hearts that are sin. And so Amos comes to the Lord and said, oh, he sees this. He's a farmer. He knows. He knows the destructive force they can have on the land and the economic and the work consequences that come as a result of that. You know what happens. When there's no food, when there's no work, people are forced to leave homes, foreclosures. They move to other places, other states to try to find work to sustain themselves. Sometimes mothers have to stay back with children while fathers go to other places to look for work. They crisscross the country trying to find work. There's stress on the family. And some of those families can't even handle that. The families break into, they break up into small pieces. You see, it's not just land that's being destroyed. It's families, it's marriages, it's children. People are dying when they don't have enough food. They are diseased when they don't eat right. There's more calamity than what meets the eye. And Amos, the farmer, knows this. This is why he prays. Oh God, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. Thank God that he touched the heart of the Lord because the scripture says the Lord relented concerning this It shall not be, says the Lord. And that's how sometimes the people are. Wow, we got past that one. We got past that one. The second vision in verse 4, the Lord God showed me another unveiling here. Behold, the Lord God was calling for a judgment by fire and it devoured the great deep and was eating up the land. You see, the farmer not only knows that the locusts can destroy, but how quickly fire can sweep across the land. We get these visions of it when we watch news film uh, reels that come in and, and we see the fires in the west or fires in the northwest and we get reports that the fire is raging and it's out of control and And we hear that only 10% of it is contained right now. And we know that that means nothing. That means that there are thousands and thousands of acres that are being scorched. And to the farmer, he knows how quickly a fire can, can sweep across the crops, destroying the land, but not just land. But now we have homes that are burned down. Now we have people who are killed. And those who may even try to fight the fires, like our brave firefighters do for us, 
They, they, are, they are in harm's way, and sometimes they lose their, their lives trying to fight the fire. And Amos sees this coming. He says, oh, Lord, please cease. How can Jacob stand? If you bring a fire, it's going to wipe out many lives. People will be scattered everywhere. And the Lord relented concerning this, as the scripture says. This also shall not be, said the Lord God. And I say again, are you not glad that there are people who are able to touch the heart of God from their prayer closet? And have kept us from calamity to this point. Now the third vision that we see here in Amos chapter 7 is in verse 7. It's not locusts and it's not fire. It's the Lord God himself showing up with his word. And you will notice that Amos has no prayer for this one. Because who can pray, God, please do not show up. God, please don't. Keep your presence from us. Who can pray that? And Amos also understands that God showing up is not going to be his showing up to bless the people, but to measure the people. Sometimes we don't know how bad things are. See, look what he says in verse 7. This is what God showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall. And by the way, the Lord is there. <laughs> The Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with the plumb line in his hand. The plumb line, what is that? Well, just as simple as we can make it, we know what a plumb line is in, in reality. Builders back in that day would put a, a weight at the end of a string and tie that string to a fixed position up above and then let it sit still for a while if there was no wind or any kind of earth shaking or anything like that the weight at the end of that string would then grow still and you could use the line to determine how straight a board was that was being used to build to to build a building see farmers not only plant cultivate plant water watch god do his thing but they also build barns because once that crop is harvested, now you have to bring it into the barn, and your barn has to be built right. It had to be built straight up and down and right so it would be strong and firm. And God comes to the barn of Israel, so to speak, the structure of Israel, and he holds the plumb line, which I believe represents the word of God. It's God's word that is righteous and pure and right. And he holds that plumb line up against Israel. And by implication says, you are not right. You do not stand rightly up and down with me. Now, why does God insert his word? This is why, because we as people, we tend to compare ourselves not with God's word, we compare ourselves with other people. These folks right over here might look across to these folk right over there and say, oh, I'm bad, but I'm not as bad as them. And by the way, while you're saying that, they're pointing back at you going, and we're not as bad as them. And all you folk right here in the center, you're going, yeah, that's right. They're all bad. And we compare ourselves with each other, how well we are doing. We, 
We, we say, well, I, if I'm better than this one over here, I must be okay. But then God himself shows up. His presence, his, the power of his spirit, he shows up and with his eternal word holds that plumb line up and says, none of you are straight up and down. Israel, you're lacking. You're bent. You're crooked. You're not right. You don't treat the poor correctly. You oppress the poor. You murder babies. You, you kill those who are weak. Hmm. And so the Lord said, look at verse 8. Behold, I'm setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. What does that mean? When I read that verse, I think of Romans chapter 1, verses 24, 26, and 28. Where people rebel against God and they do it so often that finally God says, all right, if you love your sin, I'm going to give you over to your sin. Did you know that's the worst thing God could do is to leave our presence? When science considers the very smallest particle of our world, they look at the atom and they see that the, those neutrons and protons and electrons and they, they put it to supercomputers and, and the supercomputer super spits it back out. And you know what that computer says? There's no logical, scientific, mathematical reason why the atom stays together. And then we open up the Word of God and it says, Christ holds all things together. If he were to remove his presence, even for a nanomoment, our universe would fall apart. It would disappear. It would be no more. God says, I will not pass by Israel. What a great condemnation because later in the story we see the Assyrians who live off to the northwest of Israel come down into the northern kingdom and they nearly obliterate that northern kingdom. People run for their lives. Later the Babylonians come through the northern kingdom doing the same thing all the way down into the southern kingdom. And they nearly destroy the southern kingdom and they take off, they take with them back in, into their empire the leaders of the people of Judah. And there they're in captivity for 70 years. God didn't leave Judah there. The Persians took power and allowed the people of God to return to rebuild Jerusalem, to rebuild the walls, to rebuild the temple, and to rebuild the people. But for Israel, I'm taking my hand off of you. He says it again in chapter 8 and verse Number two, where he says, I will never again pass by them. The end has come. Two more, two more things to show you here. Verse, chapter 8, verse 1, the fourth vision. And this is what the Lord God showed me. A basket of summer fruit. Now you say to yourself, that doesn't sound so bad. How can that be a judgment? He said, Amos, what do you see? And he says, I see a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, 
The end has come upon my people Israel. Well, what does fruit have to do with that? A couple of things I may mention. Number one, fruit doesn't last long. Once it ripens, it's there for just a little while, isn't it? You know, we think about these dooms, uh, dares that, uh, that try to talk us into buying shrink, uh, 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 fry, uh, not fried, uh, frozen food in packages. You know, to get ready for the big doom that's coming our way, stock up in your houses. Maybe some of you are doing that. I, I, I wouldn't blame you if you thought you needed to do that. But in Amos' day, they couldn't do that. All they had were their crops and they didn't last that long. And once you pluck that fruit off of the vine, it didn't last that long. It's as if God is saying, see that basket of food, fruit? This is your last meal. This is it. You better enjoy it. Whatever you've got now is about to be taken away. The, the Hebrew word, it's interesting, just, just note it. The Hebrew word for fruit is almost the same in its sound as the word end in Hebrew. Some interpreters have even said it is a basket of summer ending. All that that you're enjoying, it's about to go away. Your fruit is now overripe. It has dropped off the trees. It has come off the vines. Enjoy what you have. It's just a basket full. And then finally, in chapter 9, verse 1, he says, I saw the Lord. You had the vision of locusts, the vision of fire, the vision of a plumb line, and the vision of rotting fruit, perhaps. And now we have not a vision of those objects, but a vision of God Himself. Standing beside the altar, A-L-T-A-R, not E-R like you have in your notes. But the altar, A-R, is supposed to bring a transformation in our lives. It's the altar of the Lord. And listen to what he says in verse 2. He's coming. The, the Lord's coming. He says he's coming with a sword. He says not one of them shall flee away. Not one of them shall escape. And in verse 2 he says if they dig into Sheol. In other words, if they kill themselves and go into the grave from there, my hand shall take them. Even if they climb up to heaven from there, I will bring them down. If they hide themselves on the top of Carmel from there, I will search them out. And if they hide from my sight at the bottom of the sea, he says, I will command the serpent and it shall bite them. And if they go into captivity before their enemies, uh, there I will command the sword and it shall strike them. I will fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. What is God saying here? He said, no matter where Israel runs... They cannot and will not escape my judgment. You can go up, you can go down, you can go to the top, you can go to the bottom, I'm finding you. Look at Revelation chapter 20, I'll show you this. Revelation 20, very last book of the Bible. Revelation 20 and verse 11. Here's another, here's another place where the Lord is, except not an altar, but a throne. Then I saw a great white throne in him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. Verse 12, and I saw the dead. Huh. 
great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. Now circle verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades, that's the grave, gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Dear friends, listen. We might think we are separated from the judgment of God if we go hither and yon, high or low. Even if we take our own lives, we think, oh, we're going to miss the judgment of the Lord. Now, to the Christian, he's not going to face this great white throne judgment, let me quickly say. But to the lost, to the one who doesn't know the Lord, that person will. Now, are you depressed? Every story has this quick introduction to the things that are going wrong. And now you've seen five things that are going to happen. But like in any good story, there is a good ending. Do you like good endings? If you don't, we can cut it off right here and let you go home depressed. But let me give you something. Chapter 9, verse 14. I will, this is the Lord declaring this, I will restore the fortunes of my people. And they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they make, shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them. Happy ending. Whew. But it wasn't by the hand of man. It's by the hand of God. And when we read again in Revelation, those final chapters, we also see God says, and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. There's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb. And I can promise you there'll be fruit there and it's going to taste so good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And there will be no more crying. And there will be no more dying. None of this that we see here. That is what is promised to the one who has committed themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where I want to leave it. I want to leave it with an opportunity to say to someone today who doesn't know Jesus, who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, to say to you, that your only hope is not in your hope, but in placing your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and in Him alone. And if you already know the Lord Jesus Christ, the answer to the calamities that take place even in our own world right now that we're all concerned about is not in griping. Some politicians said, oh, don't gripe, vote. God says, don't gripe, pray. Seek my face, turn from your wicked ways, and I will hear from heaven, and I will heal your land. 
That's what he calls us to do. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. Fathers, to take up the plumb line of God's word into your house and quit measuring yourself by other men, but by God's word. And teach your wives and your children and your grandchildren. Moms, open up the word to your children and show them the plumb line and say, this is righteousness, not man. Today, if you uh, have heard his voice, I pray you will come publicly and say, I want Jesus. Come forward, let us know. We have counselors who will help you with that. Perhaps there's a family or an individual here who needs a church home. You need to be a part of a church family that will encourage you and teach you the right standing of the Word of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your Word. This is a hard Word. But for those of us who receive it with grace and mercy, we, like Amos, cry out, Oh God, please don't do that. Don't bring judgment. Hold off a little while longer, please, O oh Lord. But do come to us with your plumb line and measure us that we may see where we really are in standing with you. And Lord, for those who need a church home, I pray they would find maybe one even here. For those who need salvation, that they would find salvation through Jesus Christ today as they call upon the name of the Lord. For you said, whoever does that shall be saved. Thank you for your love for us. How this makes us want to live even more for you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.